GPT. Have you heard of this thing? You know, it, it really depends what you mean by heard of, Matt. Has it stolen your job yet? You know, every day I wake up just thinking, is this the day that it's going to wake up and empty out my bank account? Well, if you haven't heard of it, uh, we're about to uh, talk about it here because there's a. I found this interesting thread on Hacker News. Uh, it was an Ask Hacker News. How are you using GPT to be productive? And um, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting because we could all use a little uh, productivity boost. You know, I just I operate as slow like molasses whenever I can. <laughs> That's a good uh, modus operandi. So um, let's just uh, let's take a look at some of the comments here. Um, you know, before, well, before I do that, I just, uh, maybe on a serious note, uh, are you using uh, GPT in your, in your, you know, during your work day? You know, I, I use Copilot. Uh, so that's, yeah. you know, I guess they move from, I don't know if they're using Codex or, GPT for what, but, um, yeah, I use copilot constantly and, uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, there was this weird, I don't know if I really want to get into it, but there was this weird thing going on in the browser extension I work on. Um, and I, I use, I use GPT four to figure out the thing that I wasn't aware of that was causing a problem. Um, it, you know, it was like a five minute conversation with the thing to figure it out, which I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's more efficient. So you're, yeah. So you're using GPT four or you're still on chat GPT? Uh, yeah. Chat, chat GPT. I think, uh, they moved up okay. to four is my understanding. Oh, did they? That, so that, so chat GPT is on four. That's, that's what I've been hearing. Okay. Yeah. I know there's like a, um, uh, like a closed beta for GPT-4, but that might just be the API. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a buddy of mine's got uh, access to the beta, and uh, I, I think it's like if you sign up, you get access pretty quickly. Uh, sounds like That's what I've heard. Up, uh, 8K token access to select people. Um, this okay. week, they haven't already done it. Nice. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't been using it as much, I think. Um, I don't use Copilot. I kind of want to try it, but, uh, you know, I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I do feel like a lot of the tasks that I work on are like, the, especially the more difficult tasks are not like isolated programming tasks. They're more like uh, kind of like gluing services together that and it requires like a lot of context and some of it's kind of obscure, but but I did use it for something which I think is very emblematic of like how it can be very useful, which is writing a one-liner shell script or uh, for my build process. It did take a little back and forth, but um, you know it, it's interesting. We talked about this before. It the, the first solution it gave me actually didn't work. There, you know, it spit out an error when I tried to run it in the in the uh, terminal. So I just went back and I pasted the error to it and it was able to use that error to uh, debug and, and diagnose the problem. And it, and it gave me the correct answer. And I've seen that from a, from a few people around the web. 
you know, where they'll, the first iteration will be incorrect in some way, but if you just send it back the error, it'll fix it. I think that's, to me, that's, that's very interesting. There is a, there is a console app. Uh, it's called the fuck. And the way it works is when you type in a command and you either type com the command in incorrectly, you typo the command itself, or you typo flags to the command and it gives you an error, you, you type in, usually you alias it to fuck, and then mm -hmm. it, it attempts to, to find the correct thing and suggest it to you. And then, yeah. um, you know, you can just get back into your flow. Uh, something like this, I haven't seen it yet. I, I would love to see it where, you know, a console error pops up and you type in a command and uh, it, you know, I guess maybe it, it filters out PII and then shoots that up to um, an LLM to figure out, you know, a solution. Yeah, it, it, it's so, I mean, it just, it just makes so many... Um programs like that that would have been and were like very difficult to make and maintain it just makes them kind of obsolete because i was just thinking about that um where if you could somehow um like i use closure for my day job and closure has a reputation for having very cryptic error messages and so there's often a lot of googling involved with the error message trying to figure out what's going on but and there and there's always been this push of let, let's make the error messages better let's make them more friendly but if you if you like if you, you somehow like hook uh chat gpt or some llm into your uh, like build process and it'll just like ingest whatever error messages come out and give you like a more humanized version of the error message and tell you what you did wrong and like how to fix it. That would be like, I mean, that's that in and of itself is would be such a huge productivity boost for programmers. Let's build it. Let's make a million bucks. <laughs> yeah, well, let's do it. Okay. So let's get into these comments. Uh, the first comment um, is this guy, Barbar. So he says, you know, like a lot of people like myself, uh, he he kind of uses it as a more advanced, a more convenient stack overflow. Um, and he, he does something called that he calls asking lazy follow-up questions. So for example, I might start out by asking a question about a problem with pandas, like how do I select rows of a data frame where a column of lists of string contains a string? Uh, after that, GPT realizes I'm talking about pandas and I'm allowed to ask lazy prompts like how delete column and still get replies. <laughs> so mm. that's pretty cool. Um, and you know, something that just crossed my mind is it, it's sort of like having a private tutor and not just for programming, but for a lot of subjects. And that is like, there are so many times where I have wanted that, but didn't have access to it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm thinking, okay, Next time that comes up, I'm definitely going to head over to ChatGPT and and just have this kind of like conversational back and forth with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, something that something that I've wanted for forever is like a math brush up tutor because it's yeah. been 20 years since I took calculus and discrete 
and statistics yeah, and for sure. all that stuff is still useful. It's just like when I want to access it, it's like, what, how do you do like, uh, what is that thing even called? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's still in there somewhere, but to have like a, a tutor in, you know, whatever category of thing you want to learn in. And it just like, you know, it gives you problems that are like, it figures out where you're at and then kind of gives you problems that are right on the edge of what you can do and just keeps pumping you, you know, slightly more difficult problems in whatever domain. Like, you know, that, yeah. that to me is, uh, that's magic. Even like, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking like math, science, uh, language. I, I, I just remember thinking, um, I tried to get into C programming a, a few times before and even if you find a tutorial online, there, there's often like a lot of context that is assumed in the article and just having like a resource to be like, Hey, you know, what does this term mean that they're using in this article? Like without having to do a bunch of Googling and digging and like synthesizing results. Uh, it's so, yeah, it's now that, that, that occurs to me, I think I'm going to try that, try picking that up again. Best of luck. C is a C is a best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. The next, next comment is from a guy named Emmerich. Uh, he, he says he might be in the minority here, but uh, uh, I'm not using any AI tools. Uh, he says, I don't trust it with my data and won't rely on such tools until I can self host them. You know, that might not, might not be too far off actually. Mm-hmm. I think that's here already. Um, that that might be here already. Yeah. Yeah, with the you know the llama. Somebody got the llama thirty b thirty billion um, model running on uh, Apple Silicon and six gigs of RAM uh, last yeah. week. Um, yeah, there was a little bit of uh, controversy about that because they. They used uh, memory maps, so it was like it wasn't actually. I guess it wasn't actually six gigs of RAM. It was, it was using a lot more RAM, but it was like me- memory mapped to the file system. So, <clears throat> but still, you know, like yes, technically it is using gotcha. six gigabytes of RAM. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, so it, it's not going to be running. Uh, you know, it's it's running with SSD as as RAM, so it's a little bit. So yeah. I mean, not bad, I guess. Uh, I have a few. So this guy, Herman J314, shout outs to Herman J. I have a few com- conversations going. My most productive is a therapy session with ChatGPT as a therapist. Now, that's that's interesting. I want to come back to that. Um, some days we are retrospective and some days we're planning. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So I remember years ago, I had a buddy that... Uh, I was kind of brainstorming startup ideas with, and one of, and one of his ideas was like a therapy chat app. This was maybe, I want to say like 10 years ago. So the AI technology, obviously it was nowhere near to be able to use it. it the, the, the app would probably be backed by some kind of a very simple um, chat bot, sort of like, uh, you know, we never fleshed it out, but at the time, I just thought, okay, this doesn't really sound too feasible. 
But now, and I think there are apps like this, but now with ChatGPT, all of a sudden, hey, this is like totally possible and might actually be a really good idea. Now that said, I have seen some screenshots online of of Bing Chat in particular, which we know was backed by GPT-4, I think. And the conversations were got uh, a little dicey at some, in some points. So I'm not sure if I would quite trust ChatGPT to be my therapist yet, but we are pretty close. There is a, I remember reading maybe a month or two ago about a company that was doing this that, um, you know, they were, it, it was an app and you could ask for, um, you know, like, like doctors were putting their patients or, or this company was acting with some sort of doctor advice to put patients into these, these AI run, um, you know, therapy sessions. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, surprise, surprise, uh, there was some bad advice being given out. Yeah, it's it's actually a a little terrifying. Um, Actually, one of the replies, this guy says, uh, Ornanor says, uh, the insight into your mind that a private for-profit company gets is immense and potentially very dangering when weaponized, either through a whoops, we got hacked moment or intentionally for the next level of ad tech. So yeah, imagine like your therapist knowing, (laughs) making deals with like uh, ad companies to... uh, figure out like your deepest, darkest desires and, and like subtly marketing things to you during a therapy session. Yeah, that's, um, well, you know, I think at least with chat GPT, they used all of, you know, the billions of questions that people have been asking as input, right? So that, that stuff is going back into the model. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess you'd have to have some kind of a, you know, like a, a private cloud instance or, or something of this, um, basically self-hosted, yeah. right? If you're, if you're kind basically of self-hosted, yeah. self-hosting it, um, you know, you've got your privacy policy in place, at least somebody could sue you and probably at least in the EU, like crumble your company. So I might stop some people from doing that, but yeah. Um, you would think, Google, but, them. Uh, like people, people search all kinds of crazy, like they've solved oh, yeah. because people are searching for like, how do I dispose of a body near 1221 Charlotte street? Right. Um, and they're not in incognito mode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, well, I didn't know. I didn't know they could do that. All right. Um, all right. No, but this is definitely yeah, any, another level. This is totally on a, it's, yeah, like Facebook, Google, that's pretty intrusive, but this is like on another level. I agree. So here's some quickies. Um, often use it as a th- thesaurus uh, for programming sorts of things. Um, we already covered that. Rapid prototyping tool. Um, that's you know that's kind of interesting. I had a friend that had a uh, app that uh, has had this app idea for a long time. She has she she has zero knowledge of programming, and she decided to try to get ChatGPT to build it a program, and she got pretty far with it. Hmm. So uh, I mean, it's, it's nowhere near work, you know, like a final product. But for a prototype, yeah, sure. Um, so I using it for brainstorming. Quote: Give me forty ideas for data set plugins involving AI. 
I've actually done that. Um, when I first uh, integrated chat, uh, well, GPT-3 into Mochi, I wanted to uh, tweet about it. So I asked GPT to give me like three examples of ways that you could use AI in Mochi. <laughs> and I use those examples to re record videos and, and tweet about them. Um, so explaining code that I don't understand. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of good stuff uh, in this thread. I'm going to throw out something that I did the other day um, that was really helpful. They say in programming there are there's what two problems, right? There's naming things well and cache invalidation. Um, cache invalidation is still going to be a problem, but naming things well, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the specifics uh, like the extension that I'm building, when you click the extension icon, um, we want to show like something relevant to the current URL. And I was trying to figure out a name for what that the current URL is. Um, hmm. Because, you know, this is getting handled in a monolith. And it's a browser extension that ships that URL up to the monolith for for inspection. And so, like, what do you call it? Because it's not the current URL. Like, the current's probably, like, the full path that that you're on, including this URL parameter that we ship up. Um, so, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe the incoming URL, maybe the top-level URL was a, a suggestion from a coworker. Um, maybe the, um, I forget what the other options were. Um, so I just explained it to ChatGPT, and it came out with uh, possibly the target URL or the captured URL, which mm. I thought is just like, that's such a cool name because it, it doesn't get used anywhere else, and it describes it. So yeah. I picked that, ran with it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really cool story. I mean, ChatGPT is really good at those kind of like language problems. Um, you know, like I, I've used it to help me write emails before. I mean, a lot of people do that. That's, that's nothing new, but um, I don't, I don't just copy and paste the output verbatim, but it's a good, it's a good starting point and it's good mm -hmm. for giving you um, some ideas. There was a, uh, yeah, go ahead. Let me riff on this real quick. There was a, I think it was a hacker news post. I, I can't remember where it came from. Somebody, uh, you know, they were, um, they came to America to, to live in America for, I don't know, a semester or two. Yeah, they spoke some English and they, they talked about the, um, the McDonald's concept. And what this was, was, you know, they, they'd find themselves in a group of friends and nobody could decide where to go. There'd just be all this conversation about this thing, that thing in it. Like nobody would really go. And he would say, uh, let's go to McDonald's. And, and it, what it did is most people didn't want to go to McDonald's. And so they started thinking about like, where else could we seriously go? Because if we don't come up with something and agree on that, we're going McDonald's. That's funny. I, I've often used, I, I never heard of that, but I have used that tactic before. So it's funny that that's like a real, that's like a thing that uh, exists out in the ether. Yeah, 100%. 100%. 
So, um, okay, let's uh, that's enough AI for one week. Okay, let's move on to the next. <laughs> let's move on to the next story. Uh, the EU Commission doesn't understand what's written in its own chat control bill. Surprise, surprise. A legislator doesn't understand what's in their own bill. Okay, so this is an article out of Molvad VPN. And really, it's just a uh, it's just a bunch of quotes from this commissioner. I think it's one person, although it could be multiple people. But he's mostly picking on this one person, Ilvia Johansson. So yeah, you know, I don't live in the EU. I don't know a whole lot about this, but um, you know, some of these quotes are kind of interesting. Um, did you, did you have something you wanted to talk about with, uh, this story in general, or should I just go through some of these quotes? You know, like I, I, I read through about half of this and I just got disgusted by it. Um, you know, like the, the, the thing that I guess, you know, the bill is, it's roughly about, you know, what they always use to try to get into people's privacy is they're, you know, they're looking for, for child porn. And yeah. what the commissioner is saying is that, well, okay, there's a bill, like there's legislation that's expiring soon that we've been using to uh, do police work on this stuff. And, and unless we pass the bill, they're not going to be able to do the things they're already doing. Which, okay, that's, you know, that's fine. Like, I, I, that's motivation to do this. But what they're, what the commissioner is saying, they're talking about Signal. And, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're in Signal or Telegram or, you know, any um, open graph protocol enabled app and you post a link, like, it's going to go up to that domain and it's going to grab, you know, whatever, like, metadata you've got and it's going to bring back like a thumbnail and a description and everybody knows how this thing works um and uh and she's using that to say well they're already scanning your your texts and so this is really just saying that that's something that they're going to have to do from now on not touching the topic that that's that's not them scanning your encrypted communication that's them doing something very special for urls um, isn't that, but isn't that also like your, your device is doing that like client side. So like, they're not even, they, they are not even, they quote unquote, are not really mm-hmm. scanning your text. It's like your own devices kind of scanning your, I mean, it has to, to even just type out the letters. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a point. Like this could be done entirely on the client that you pay, you type in a URL or someone sends you a URL and then your client goes and looks for the OGP meta tags and pulls yeah. it down, right? Like this doesn't have to be yeah. a server side thing. Um, I think she also mentioned something about how it, it currently scans for CP. But um, see, I don't know much about Signal, but I know Apple had something where they were able to like um, look at the encrypted content and compare it somehow to like the encrypted like encrypted CP and, and it could like somehow tell that 
that it was uh, CP without unencrypting it, but there were some flaws. You know, I, I, of course, there's always going to be flaws in any kind of system like that. But um, I don't know. Do, does Signal? Do you know if Signal does the same thing uh, or something similar? You know, my understanding of Signal is that it's it's built to be end to end encrypted. Um, I don't know if they have specifically put in any kind of um, backdoors. I think like that's what they tout themselves on is like, yeah, we don't have backdoors. Um, right. Yeah. Here's a fun quote. Uh, from, I guess it's from this woman. Uh, quote, it's about sniffing. Checking out, you could say. It's not as if you read communications. I mean, it's like a police dog being able to smell if there's something there. End quote. Yeah. yeah that, the internet, uh, it's like, I, uh, that's it's meant like a- to like... It's like a yeah, series if that's of meant to, If that's meant to like uh, appease my my fears, uh, <laughs> that really doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, we're just gonna take a police dog uh, around your house. Um, we're gonna we're gonna breed uh, forty million police dogs, and they're just gonna be roaming about in the neighborhoods uh, across the EU. No worries, um, they're just sniffing. It's just sniffing, you know. It's like you, you'd let a police dog in your house to sniff around, right? Yeah, yeah. You now have a mandatory police dog in your house sniffing everything you do. Like everybody likes dogs. Yeah. Okay, let's let's move that. Uh, let's, you know, we speaking of this uh, chat bill, chat control bill. We have, I'm not going to get into it now, but we have something similar uh, going on in the U.S. with with regards to TikTok and. Um, did we talk about this last week? Uh, yeah, we may. I don't know. I don't know if we did. It sounds, but, it sounds familiar to me, but but yeah, that's it's kind of the it's kind of a similar issue where it's like it's a it's a, almost like a Trojan horse, right? Like yeah, TikTok. They're evil. They're Chinese. But uh, in order to combat them, we need to control everything you do on your phone. Yeah, they can't like. They can't just do a single item bill in this country. They can't just say, okay, we're going to ban TikTok or other things, you know, that have over whatever percent CCP uh, control from the United States. Like they can't do that. They have to make it really vague and really broad and get all kinds of pork barrel stuff in. And I could go on and on, but um, yeah, yeah, I I've been listening to the chatter on like the further right end and there, there might be enough, uh, enough Republicans to stop this from happening. So I'm less worried than I was a week ago. It's kind of ironic because I feel like the Republicans were the ones really kind of pushing to look at TikTok in the first place. And they, they somehow not, not they meaning Republicans, but just Congress in general created a bill so bad that the people that were initially pushing for it aren't even are going to kill it. So, right. Well, that's pretty bad. You know, it's just going to be politics. Well, why aren't you again spanning TikTok? You said you're against spanning TikTok, you know, not to mention, Oh yeah, this is going to allow, Basically, if you use a VPN, um, that could be a crime punished by up to 20 years and a million dollar fine. Like that's in there. So, yeah, I, I read I heard some text snippets that were in the bill and they were <laughs> they, they did not sound it did not sound good. Um, but let's move on from that and and talk about something a little more 
a little more fun. Uh, so it turns out that um, one in two new NPM packages are spam. Delicious, salty spam. I grew up on spam. No, actually, it's SEO spam. It cooks in its own juices. So, so basically, these you know people are submitting packages to NPM. They're empty packages. They don't have any JavaScript, just as far as I know. It's just a README with SEO spam. Um, they often so this this researcher. Uh, let me get his name in here. Oh, I'm going to butcher it. Uh, Gabby Dobokan. So he breaks it down. He breaks the spam down into roughly four categories: Russian Telegram, fake PDF sites, watch movies online, and Fortnite V Bucks. So. So the Russian Telegram channel, this is, uh, they're basically just links to the same Russian Telegram <laughs> Telegram channel that, um, I guess, okay, so here here is like some of the text translated from Russian. Forget about financial problems forever. A new method of earning will allow you to earn millions without leaving your home. Now, any any normal person would read that and... And alarm bells should go off in your head. But uh, I, I remember reading about why scammers often make their scams very obvious. And it's because they want... Hmm, I'm, I'm trying to think of how I should word this. But uh, if you are sophisticated enough to be able to detect a, span, a, a scam on its face, then you probably wouldn't fall for a slightly more um, polished scam, if that makes sense. So they, they kind of make it obvious to get like the lowest common denominator to fall for it. Yeah, I mean, they're going off uh, or after, you know, like people in care homes who yeah. see a spam email and they're like, wow, that's my that was my great niece's name. And then they just yep. roll with it and get scammed yeah the so the second biggest category is the classic free books movies whatever it it takes you to a um, website it requires the user to jump through a bunch of hoops completing all these tasks like uh, typically like filling out surveys and interacting with ads which is i always thought that was kind of fascinating where it's like there are advertisers out there, seemingly, that are, are trying to get their product uh, in front of people, and they somehow end up on these like scam websites uh, where people are like watching the ads in order to get like a free movie. And but but then uh, the other side of that is a lot of these ads are ads to like other scam sites. So it's like this big cycle of like. I don't know how to, uh, yeah, it's, it's really weird, but like the scam sites make money from advertisers that advertise to other like scam sites. So there's gotta be like somebody at the end that's actually like making money somehow. That's a giant pyramid of, of scam. Indeed. So we also got Fortnite V bucks. Now this represents a pretty small minority but um, I guess it's Fortnite is big enough that uh, it, 
it garners its own category in the uh, NPM SEO spam universe. Um, B bucks, they're almost as good as regular bucks. But yeah, this to me is like, this is kind of a theme that we've been exploring throughout the, the podcast, the, the death of the search engine. And this is kind of like another nail in the coffin for me where SEO has been so, so well um, gamed and optimized that it like just creates so much junk on the internet and it like pollutes everything. It's not the internet I remember. I, I remember I remember the internet was this great place where it was kind of like going to the library, except the library was written by just a bunch of Joe Schmoes. Um, For real, yeah. You know, it. Uh, there was, I was looking for something the other day and the first two results in both Google and Brave, it was all blog spam and it was people trying to sell yeah. the thing. And I didn't want to buy the thing. I just wanted to know about the thing. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, you know. That you can't get away from it. I think what's going to happen is, you know, like the, I guess the boomer generation, like they still watch television. They have yeah. cable TV subscriptions. Um, cable TV is not growing like it it was in the 80s and the 90s like it's kind of it's shrinking right it's it's getting it's it's a generational thing that you know millennials uh tend to they're more of like netflix and hulu for for um you know streaming for contents yeah, i think not, it's not to totally game. derail you but Oh, yeah, please, not to like please, totally please. derail the conversation, but I, I was watching, I was looking on cable recently and I realized that like, this is no joke. 90% of the programming on MTV is, um, is one show. It's, it's Rob Deerdeck's ridiculousness, I think it's called. Okay. And which, which is just like a, like an internet clip show. So yeah, it, it's, it's like it's on its way out for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, the new Beavis and Butthead, like what are they doing? They're reacting to, to YouTube videos. Like there's, mm -hmm. you know, there's the shift of, of what people are using. I think this next generation is, you know, like people like you and I, who, who like Google's been around, we know how to use it. Like, um, that's, it's probably still going to be something that we, we rely on, but people who are growing up with, uh, chat GPT and the AI models, like they're going to, yeah, they're not even going to touch Google, like give another, you know, 10 years. Oh yeah. It's done. I mean, even before AI, which I agree, that's just going to accelerate things. The younger generation, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, maybe, I guess if they exist yet, they don't use Google anyway. They're, they exist like entirely on TikTok and these other social, social media sites. So yeah, it's already ha it's already started to happen. But um, okay, let's um, let's talk about the web, and, and and specifically, let's talk about WebKit and new features in Safari sixteen point four. Let's do. So what do we got? Apple's been busting its ass lately, working on WebKit and Safari. I have an idea as to why, but uh, this is another big released release for them. 
And I think like the headline feature we got here is the um, the web push notifications. Finally, I mean that, that's that's been around in Chrome and Firefox for I don't know how long. It has, has it been years? But Apple's been dragging its feet on this one, and I think we know why. But apparently, it's here. Yeah, yeah. Push uh, pushes now. I think I was looking at at the. Uh, can I use it list? I think like mobile opera doesn't support it. Um, mm. But 99.9% of browsers now support uh, push. So that, um, and you know, especially like mobile iOS, like that's that, you know, it's a, it could be a deciding force as to whether or not you use a technology. So what, uh, sure. what's going to happen in the next uh, couple months, you think? Um, you know, so this obviously opens the door for, um, kind of like sidestepping the app store, which I think is why they, it took them so long to add it in the first place. Uh, the so-called, uh, well, for, for iOS, it's add to home screen, add to home screen. Uh, I forget what the actual name is called for apps like this. But uh, basically, allows you to save a web app as a as a local app on your on your device, right? Uh, and and with modern web APIs, they're pretty capable in a lot of ways. Especially when you add them add them to your home screen, I think you get access to even more more like uh, device APIs. So you can do a lot with them. And. You know, it remains to be seen. I, I think everybody is still going to use the App Store because why wouldn't you? But um, but uh, if for some reason you can't, whether you're not approved or your business model just doesn't allow you to give 30% of your revenue to Apple, then yeah, this, is a, this could be a viable alternative. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting angle that... Up to this point, if you wanted to, you know, release something that the App Store didn't want you to release, you had to go through this process of explaining to your users, this is how you pin your website onto iOS. Um, I deal with this uh, at my day job, like getting people to pin a browser extension is, you know, our users can do it. Regular users don't understand the concept uh, so well. And so... Like this, you know, there's maybe still a challenge in getting people to do it, but once they do it, they've got, you know, the, the app basically has like push access. So you can like recall people into the app when something happens, which, I mean, that's key, right? The re-engagement factor. Yeah, that was a big missing piece for a while. I, I just remembered the name. It's called Progressive Web Apps. So it's like, I guess progressive meaning it can progressively uh, turn it, act like a, a native app. I, I'm not sure exactly where the word wording comes from, but but yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of why this is a big news. This release is big news. Um, oh, and there's a ton of other stuff in here. So as far as CSS, uh, we got some nice new CSS properties. I, I don't know where this uh, stacks up with some of the other browsers, but um, 
I wasn't aware of a lot of these. So there's a new property called margin trim, which if you've ever used CSS um, for any length of time, it's, it's likely you've run into this problem where you have a series of elements that you want some spacing in between. And so you might try to put a margin on either side of, of each element. But the problem then is on the... Uh, on the on the front and the end of the list of elements, you've got this extra margin that you don't really need because remember the margin is just there to put spacing in between. So you have to do these CSS tricks to try and get try try to eliminate the margin at the at the either ends of the uh, stack. So that that that's kind of tricky and it has some problems, but uh, this new margin trim property should should make that a lot easier. Interesting. Very interesting. There's another, yeah, another CSS uh, couple, actually. Uh, this one's kind of a small, they added a new uh, relative unit called line height or, or LH. So you can set, uh, you can set sizes for things based on the line height. It's kind of a, a small thing. Another more interesting feature, I think, is the... Um, the, uh, what's it called? The font size adjust property. So the motivation for this is if you've ever tried to in, um, sort of have more than one font in a paragraph, for example, some like a serif font and maybe like a monospace font, the, si the, the font size is the same, but like the way the fonts are designed, one might appear much larger than the other. So this font size adjust property lets you um, kind of adjust the sizes so that they appear visually the same. Yeah, it's kind cool. of a nice feature. That's really cool. Got some new pseudo classes. Uh, you can now um, select based on the left to right or right to left direction of the language that's in the uh, element, which is kind of cool. Um, some new color options which I'm um, sure are very cool, but um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a little technical. So, so they have made some improvements to the uh, media query syntax. You can now use comparators. So before you would have to do something like min width 400 pixels and max width 900 pixels. Now you can just shorten that to 400 pixels less than or greater than width less than 900 pixels. It's just a little syntax sugar. Makes it a little bit easier to read. Yeah, that's huge. <clears throat> that is huge. Yeah, that's that's like a, a nice ergonomic change. They they have some changes to the um, to HTML itself. You got a uh, a new loading attribute for I think it's specifically for iframes, but uh, you can do loading equals lazy, and it will not load the iframe if it's out of out of frame out of out of the viewport. Uh, before, I believe you had to use JavaScript for that. This just just occurred to me that, you know, if you wanted to do, uh, you know, a lazy version of infinite scroll, you could just embed like 20, 20 lazy load iframes with your, <laughs> yeah. your uh, you know, infinite scroll start uh, offsets. Each one's, you know, 20 past the other. And... Yeah, and they just like as you're scrolling down, they just start loading. 
That could work. Um, I think I feel like you would see a little bit of like blank screen um, because you're you're loading like twenty at a time or a hundred at a time or whatever it is. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that could, that could totally work if you did not want to use any JavaScript. That's actually yeah. a pretty clever solution. Yeah, Blaze. I wonder what people um, are doing with this. Yeah, I, I use I use it for videos on my site, but I have to use JavaScript. So you could use it for um, if you wanted to, wanted to embed uh, YouTube videos, though. For example, it would work for that because those are iframes. Mm-hmm. Um, some improvements to JavaScript and WebAssembly: where we get uh, we get uh, look behind uh, in regex, which is like super. It's, it, you never you never really. Um, it's one of those things where. It's just really nice to have. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to explain. It's like every once in a while you get into the situation where like, man, I, I really wish I was able to write a regex that also included that kind of like looked ahead of the regex. You know, it's one of those things you don't know you need until you run into the problem that requires it. But mm-hmm. um, I think the other browsers have this already. Uh, improvements to WebAssembly. Off-screen canvas. This is kind of cool. It lets you um, render canvas um, off the main thread. I'm sure that'll be pretty useful for these really rich uh, web apps. Improvements to the uh, full-screen API. So screen wake lock API. I'm seeing a lot of um, kind of like more native-like APIs here, like user activation API. This one's kind of interesting. In that I don't really know what exactly I don't. It, it just sounds mysterious. Let me read it. The user activation API provides web developers with a means to check whether a user meaningfully interacted with a web page. This is useful as some APIs require meaningful quote user activation, such as a click or touch before they can be used. Because user activation is based on a timer, the API can be used to check if document currently has user activation as otherwise a call to an API would fail. That sound to me sounds a little mysterious, but um, I can kind of (laughs) see, I I think that might be like, um, like auto playing audio maybe requires like user activation, things like that. So I can see that, how that could be useful. Yeah, I, I wonder if, uh, you know, that's not like, it's not like they're trying to replace like age captcha or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think it's more like, um, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, uh, I know back in the day you have to, you, there were some things that uh, you could do with JavaScript that on Safari in particular, you couldn't do because it required the user interaction first. And it was kind of like an anti, uh, it was like not anti-spam, but um, you know how like back in the day, some shady websites, it would just like pop up, pop-ups, you know, there'd be like a million pop-ups, right? And there's nothing you could do about it. It's kind of like that where it's, and they're not pop-ups, but, they would do some kind of shady thing. Yeah, yeah, without yeah. The, without user interaction. Right, right. Yeah, this actually uh, reminds me of, of a story from from my youth, um, <laughs> where uh, uh, Buddy and I were up until 
I don't know, it's probably 4 a.m. There was a, the Shack News, what's new thread, I think, came out at 5 a.m. And we thought, you know, what could we what could we do where we could just get a first post and people would click on it? And uh, mm. and we came up with this idea that we'd, we'd create a, a pop-up bomb so that the page would load a pop-up that would load two more pop-ups. And, uh, nice. And, you know, we somehow stayed up until 5 a.m., posted the link, and we're just watching the server logs, just laughing every time we saw, you know, someone would load the page, and then they'd get, like, 300 more requests, and then their connection would die. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, some people just want to watch the ones burn. So Apple's definitely definitely the enemy. Yeah, Yeah. good on on Apple for uh, protecting us against people like Teenage Rick. Uh, Yeah. Actually, I don't know how, how old you were, but I hope I assume you're a teenager. I okay, so age. <laughs> okay, so we got a new um, web driver thingy called Safari Driver. I guess this has been around, but uh, now it supports commands for getting elements inside shadow roots. I, I had no idea Safari Driver was a thing. So that's cool. Got a lot of um, developer tooling improvements here. We got a typography, whole like font tab. You can inspect the font settings. Then we've got sliders for the weights. I mean, pretty cool stuff. Tooling for conditionals in CSS. This is pretty cool. You can toggle the uh, system theme, like dark or light, to see how your uh, CSS reacts. Um, Different accessibility settings. That's really cool. Um, badging HTML elements. So this is I, this is something that I think I first saw in Firefox, which I thought was a really nice, where the uh, inspector will add little badges to your HTML that will um, kind of give it a, a little bit more information. Like if there's an event tied to that to that uh, uh, DOM node, you'll get like a little event badge, and you can click on it, and you can see what the event is you know, where it is in the source code and all that stuff. Um, it's got badges for CSS, CSS grid, Flexbox, that kind of thing. So so really good stuff here from Safari. One last thing I want to touch on is the Safari web extensions. Now, I know you guys deal with web extensions at uh, Versatrial. Is, is Safari... So are Safari extensions... Are they using like the manifest v2 v3 thing or they have their own separate extension api uh you know i i don't know we don't target safari as a uh, as a deploy so um i think, uh, I, most think they, just, I think they're you don't have too many users on safari makes sense i i'm pretty sure you have to have a apple developer uh license just to publish a an extension on safari which is like 99 dollars a year so so that's not winning over any (laughs) any uh developers but it looks like they're making some improvements i don't think apple i could be wrong but my hunch is that apple is more permissive in allowing extensions to block certain requests, you know, like the whole thing with manifest V3, that was a big um, controversy is, is uh, they were removing some capabilities that uh, ad blockers use. 
to block certain ads. Right. I have a feeling that's not a problem with Safari web extensor web, web extensions, but um, I don't. Yeah, like most people, I don't use Safari, so so it's hard to say. Uh, we got um, Safari has added the has pseudo selector for use in content blockers. So yeah, Safari has this has this their own like content blocking thing. Again, I, I don't know too much about it because I don't use it, but um, I don't think they're shy about letting people block ads because they're not really an ad company. Yeah, it's they have an interesting, interesting angle. Um, definitely. Yeah, Google's Google's got their angle right. They're they're essentially an ad company. Their browser is really there to serve the bottom line. And so you can kind of see that in the decisions that they make. Safari is a completely different angle, right? They're like a hardware and services company. Firefox, I have no idea what Firefox's angle is. Uh, they make their money off of uh, of default uh, default search engine. Um, is that still it, the majority of their revenue? I believe it is. That's crazy. That's really crazy. So, all right, enough about Safari. Let's talk Disney and the metaverse. Talk about the big, the big D in the South. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Disney, they're eliminating its uh, metaverse division. Snip, gone. Fifty people so, out of jobs. Anyone else surprised that Disney had a metaverse division? I mean, it makes sense that they're, you know, they're kind of like, I mean, who watches Disney? It's mostly kids and families. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Nintendo is really successful with, uh, what was the game? Like Animal Planet or... Uh, Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing, thank you. Where, you know, it's kind of like a metaverse thing, but it's like the sandbox yeah. where kids are just going on and playing and it's safe and you know, that exploded. So I think it makes sense that Disney would want to do some uh, exploring around that. Yeah. I think they're, they, they, I don't know if they internally or externally call it the metaverse, but uh, in this wall street journal article, it's called the next generation storytelling and consumer experiences unit. Wow. I guess that's a, Maybe they maybe they failed. Just the name of that unit was a little long. Nobody could, yeah, nobody could uh, remember the name, so it just disappeared slowly. Just but yeah, I, I don't know if this was supposed to be a VR thing or maybe it's a broader category of ex, of quote unquote experiences. But um, I I feel like uh, I remember reading about Meta was sort of. Um, reducing investment in the metaverse. Am I imagining that? Or is that, is that another, uh, another crack in the metaverse universe? Meta, well, metaverse, another crack in the metaverse. Yeah. Crack in the metaverse. Yeah. Uh, you know, Facebook was laying off. I don't know. They laid off like a ton of people and then they laid off another ton of people. Um, they're talking about like slowing down their, their metaverse development. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of, craze this would have been the perfect time for it right everybody's 
stuck inside, can't get out. Um, yeah. This, I think, was the test. And I think it's, it failed spectacularly, to be honest. Well, it's all about execution because there are metaverse-like things that have been hugely successful, like, as you brought up, Animal Crossing, uh, Fortnite, which was kind of like turned into this broader social uh, experience. Um, there's also Roblox, which is this section of the internet that is completely incomprehensible to me as an adult, but is hugely popular with children. Uh, I've actually seen my, my nephew play it. It's, it's pretty interesting what they've done. It's a, it's a lot of it is user generated content. So people create these worlds and in, in Roblox with activities that you can do and you pay, it's almost like, I mean, some of them are like an amusement park where there's different things you do and you pay Robux, I think they're called, to, to use the, to, to do the different things. And um, I guess you have to buy Robux, Robux using real bucks, but uh, it's pretty genius and it's pretty cool. But, but if you could, um, I don't know if that's what Facebook was trying to emulate or still is, but um, if you look at what they actually have, it's it's insanely underwhelming, uh, their metaverse, especially considering how much money they've put into it. I mean, it looks like it looks like a bad Wii game from like the early 2000s. It really it really does. Um, like which I don't understand. I, I don't know what's going on over there that they can't make something look halfway decent, but that it's really shocking to me when you read the the numbers and the amount that they're, they're spending on this. I, I assume they they must be spending it on something else because they couldn't possibly be spending it on this, but what I've seen. But yeah, it's like I think it all comes down to execution and the execution. I haven't seen anything that Disney has come out with, but at least with Facebook, it's been pretty underwhelming. Uh, you know, I remember Second Life in I don't know two thousand and five or somewhere thereabouts, whenever it whenever it came out, and this. You know, the screens coming off of, of Meta's version of it. You know, I remember Second Life actually looking better than what Meta's done. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know. I don't really get it. I don't. I really don't. Don't get it. Not put it on the headset. For I'm still optimistic about, the, um, I don't know about the Metaverse, but but uh, yeah, VR in general and this uh, whole idea of like getting to a ready player one style metaverse. I think it's going to happen eventually, but, but maybe not from Facebook, certainly not from, well, it could be from Disney, but maybe at a later date. No, I think but, uh, uh, I'm excited about Apple's um, headset. I think, uh, Oh, right. You know, yeah, I forgot about they, that. they just have this history of like very polished products. They're always game changing. They're always, you know, I mean, I guess like the last Apple product, somebody said it was, uh, it was like eight years ago. And I think it was um, uh, the EarPods. It's got to be the Apple Watch, right? Was that eight years ago? Or was or was, was it the AirPods? Maybe that was eight years ago. Um, whatever the case, like maybe the AirPods are, are like more of an accessory thing. Um, but it's been a long time. And 
Uh, just yeah. looking at like the patent sleuthing that people have done, it you know it looks like they. I, I got my fingers crossed that it's going to be uh, it's going to be retina, um, mm-hmm. and that could like. I mean, if there's a headset, you know, flagship company with a flagship product with a headset that just works, that's lightweight, that's cool, that's trendy, that people use, that allows you to use like the neural engine on your phone already. Um, you know, there's there's definitely some cool possibilities. So I got I got my hopes open on that one. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people are waiting for that iPhone moment for VR. And um, something to push it into the mainstream and just like explode the innovation. Uh, whether the tech is there or not, I guess we will find out. Uh, you know, they've got a WWDC coming up. I don't know if they're planning. I don't know if the rumors, uh, if there are any rumors that they're planning to reveal it there. But um, but uh, I would I would certainly tune into that. I've been I've been disappointed in the last few, but. Um, yeah, if they release new hardware, like a whole new hardware category, that would be uh, pretty exciting. Because you know, Apple they're they're rarely the first to market with something, but uh, they're usually they usually wait until the technology matures to the point where they can put out a really polished product. Fingers crossed. And uh, with that, with the death of the multiverse, I think that'll do it for us this week. We will uh, see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody.